1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named River. And River was in a toxic relationship with an emotionally abusive partner. It's a story of caretaking, jealousy, guilt, paranoia, and restraining orders. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have River. How are you?
0: I'm well. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good, and thank you for being here. We have been chatting for almost 40 minutes or 30 minutes, I think. (laughs) So we got to know each other pretty good. You you know what kind of t-shirts I like now. Yeah. <laughs> and I expect one uh, on my birthday next year. Thank you.
0: Okay. Yeah. From Hot Topic. From Hot, Topics. From Hot, Topics.
1: Hot Topic. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, thank you for, for being here with us today. You're going to share your story. You're going to help a lot of people. And you were in a relationship with a charismatic, manipulative abuser, And I wish everyone could see the light that's shining through the background. You look like an an uh... angel right now. (laughs) So anyway, thank you so much for being here. And thank you
0: so much for having me. Oh,
1: you're welcome. And now, River, the floor is now yours.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Like I said, again, thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm pretty excited to share this story. And I want to try to make it, you know, as understandable as possible. Um, But a little bit about me is, you know, I grew up with a pretty normal family, lots of um, extended family right here, a couple blocks away, big parties all the time. And, you know, just a lot of support and um, just really, really close, close, close family always nearby. I kind of, you know, didn't have a hard time in high school or anything like that. Um, I started dating my first, you know, kind of serious boyfriend when I was a junior in high school. I was about 16 years old. Um, he worked at um, the mall at a retail store. Um, and, you know, I wanted to get a job, start saving up for a car. I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do um, in in college and things like that, so Um, I applied for a job at, you know, where he works and they were kind of like, oh, you know, you can't work with your boyfriend. So we'll send you to the other store. I went there and interviewed and got the job. I was only 16 years old. Um, it was a little bit scary kind of working in retail, um, Selling and dealing with customers, and that kind of I was a shy person, I feel like I wasn't the most um extroverted or outspoken person. I was usually kind of the follower versus the leader um things like that, so kind of getting into that environment where I had to get to know people, talk to people, deal with all sorts of personalities and things like that kind of broke me out of my shell a little bit um but within the first week or so of working there. Um, you know, I had still been with my boyfriend there, um, from high school and I had met who, I guess we will call the main abuser of the story here. Um, and I met him in the back storage room of the store, you know, he kind of came in and he burst through the door and was running around in the back room. Like, getting everything together and about to help out a customer on the floor. And my boss was like, you know, this is, you know, so-and-so and just kind of, we met in passing, but immediately I was like, kind of drawn to him, um, mostly just because he was about five years older than me. He was very charismatic. I could tell right, right away, the way he introduced himself to me, that he was just one of those people that could talk to anybody. You know, he was actually one of the assistant managers at the time also, um, so that's kind of where our first interaction was. Things just kind of went on. I was still with my boyfriend there for a while. And it kind of got to the point where I was working with him often. He was one of the assistant managers. We were a smaller store. So typically it was only like, you know, one one manager and maybe one sales associate, maybe two sales associates on the weekends. And so, you know, we kind of got to know each other and that's sort of where, um I kind of noticed, you know, he would talk about like the customers that walked in the store. Like if it was like a younger girl or just any attractive girl or things like that, he would be talking about their butt. He'd be talking about their clothes, talking about, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, what he'd wanted to do to them and all this, you know, just, and so immediately I'm all right, you know, he's and he was in a relationship too, at the time, he actually was engaged to, um a girl who he had been with for a few years, they were living together and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, kind of just went through the motions, but that's really kind of where um, this whole thing sort of started. It was kind of where like the seed grew, you know, that kind of just in, you know, it, and it eventually moved on to him talking about us. Like, you know, there was a, other, there was a couple other younger girls on the uh, sales team there and, you know, I noticed him talking about them, talking about their butt and their jeans. And eventually we were able to wear yoga pants and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, it moved on to him just explicitly outright, just being like, hey, your ass looks great in those pants. And, you know, talking kind of start. you then he started talking, you know, crap about my boyfriend who worked at the other store, the bigger store, because now they know each other because he goes there to be their manager sometimes and things like that. So, you know, it's kind of like this convoluted thing at this point, but you know, it kind of goes on where I sort of try almost develop this like love hate relationship with him. Like I enjoy working with him because I know we're going to get things done, but I, and you know, I know he's going to like, eventually the flirting and stuff, like that kind of attention, I wasn't necessarily getting from the person I was with at the time. So Then I started to kind of like it, you know, I would almost look forward to working with him, but then like get really pissed off when he would kind of treat me like shit because he was the manager and this and that and whatever. So, you know, all of that kind of is where this whole thing sort of budded. Now that was in 2010 and I'm going to fast forward a little bit here.
1: But before we fast forward, I have some questions for you.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Shoot. Let him go. Sorry if I'm kind of like rambling a little bit there, but...
1: Oh, no, no, no. So at this point, you're probably... You're a teenager.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm still in high school. Yeah. You're (laughs) you're
1: mid-high school era. Right. And as far as your experience in the world and of people from your family upbringing to this point you've had a pretty normal upbringing is that fair yeah. to say
0: yeah yeah absolutely yeah
1: your biggest issues you know so far that you said that you were shy and now you're coming out of your shell did you have uh self-worth issues did you have any kind of issues like that within this time or was it just regular, basic high school insecurity?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, definitely. Like, I wouldn't say there was any, like, deep-rooted, like, you know, self-esteem issues. Was I, like, a popular girl in school? No. Did I hang out with, like, the jocks and things like that? And, you know, I wasn't, like, the most confident. You know what I mean? And I, I think that that job brought, like, some of that confidence out of me because I it, it had to. You know what I mean? You had to make sales and you had to talk to people and you had to, you know, help them find, you know, all, all, everything they were looking for. So, you know, that kind of made me have to go and do that, but yeah, you know, it wasn't really anything necessarily besides some normal high school, you know, whatever, just nothing, you know, but.
1: And if anything we can say, or I can say, we'll find out in a second if it's true, that you are impressionable.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like me being 16 years old, like the first time I met him and he's, you know, 22, 23 years old, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so, he's, he's to me at this point, I'm like, he's a grown man. Like, and he's giving me the, like this kind of attention and things like that. Like that was, that felt good, you know? So like that was it was easy for me to like kind of slip into that, like looking forward to working with him eventually and looking forward to those types of things and also feeling guilty because I had a boyfriend at that time. And you know what I mean? So, you know, but anyways, it progresses in the future. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So when I say impressionable when you 're around that person and you look at them in a specific way you 're doing things for your first time in your life in in a lot right. of different ways and this doesn 't just doesn 't apply to teenagers this can apply to adults as well when you When you have someone who is in your ear and constantly in your ear with what they 're going to be telling you about other people. Uh, Etc. things along those lines, eventually you might start to believe those things yeah. or align yourself possibly with that person's belief, even though it might not be the right decision at the time or uh, a decision where you look back and you're like, oh, uh, what was I, you know, what was I kind of thinking there, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, but when, when someone gets your ear and they have your ear, they have your ear and right. th- that's going to eventually happen to you a little bit here.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, that's, you know, that was, that was kind of when I started, that's kind of how everything sort of progressed from there now time goes on. And now it's a couple of years later, it's around like 2012, right? And me and my same boyfriend from high school, we've been together this whole time. And my abuser here, my ex, I don't know, however you want to refer, I guess, I'll, I'll call him the abuser for now. Um, he, he started developing ser- a serious, serious alcohol problem. Um, he became a a horrible alcoholic. It was and and I watched it happen. You know what I mean? I was working this whole time for a couple years, like 20 hour 25 hours a week. Now at this point I'm in college. I'm going to a technical program that's only about a year and a half. I notice he starts coming in and he just looks unwell. He's got, you know, his skin is mottled and he's like emaciated looking and you know he's just exhausted. He's not that same person that was, you know, bumping around the back room and doing all this other stuff, you know, he wasn't that guy. And, um, you know, eventually I realized that he, you know, had a bottle of vodka in a water bottle in his backpack and he needed it to stop the shakes. And that's how bad it was. And eventually, you know, he was coming in sleeping in the, in the back office while I was on the sales floor training the new hires and things like that. I was kind of in a vulnerable position because my boyfriend at the time, like things were working out. Um, His family was really, he had a really, really toxic family um, and I was very involved with some of his crap. And so it came to the point where, you know, he's sleeping in the back room and I go back there and he's kind of like, you know, I know you've wanted this for a long time. And he just kind of pulls me in and we start kissing. And I immediately am like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, my I have a boyfriend. This is not me. I'm not a cheater. You know, all this kind of stuff. But it just like it felt wrong. But I also like got a high off of it. You know what I mean? And after that like moment that day, I called my two best friends. And actually I was supposed to hang out with my boyfriend. He was at my friend's house and I was leaving work that day and I called them and I'm like, we're going to have to get rid of, you know, my boyfriend somehow. Cause I got to tell you guys like what just happened and all this other stuff, I don't know what to do. And so I tell them and they're like, oh my gosh, this isn't good. You know, all this other stuff. But the thing was, you know, it he was also, you know, he was still with his fiance from when we first met and he was not only, messing around with me, but he was messing around with one other girl that we worked with another, um, you know, employee, another sales associate and a couple other people. So now I'm kind of like, you know, this is nothing special because he's doing this with everybody, but he's also also kind of making me feel special. So I was kind of just like very torn. I was very, um, you know, he started calling me into work earlier after that, you know, so that we could, you know, hook up before the other sales associates got there and things like that. Well, this only lasted maybe two weeks, a couple weeks, if that, and all of a sudden he was gone, just gone. And in the meantime, I've still got my boyfriend. I'm, I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. I feel guilty. I don't know what to do. And, you know, every time I go in and he's there, he just makes me feel some type of way like I can't get enough of it even though I know it's like not right it's not what I should be doing and so eventually like I said he kind of disappears and I'm texting him like he's not at work now weeks go by like when I say ghost like he's gone somebody has replaced him at work he's not answering my text messages so now I'm like what the hell's going on and of course like when all that stuff was going on with him and I he was suffering really severely from his alcoholism. And, uh, so eventually, you know, I tech, I get a text back from him and it's his fiance and she says, Hey, you know, he's in the hospital and he's on, you know, an alcohol detox. And I was like, Holy crap. All right. So then eventually he starts texting me and I end up, I just started my new job after finishing school And I ended up driving up there um, and seeing him in the hospital when he was there for his detox. And I crawled right into his hospital bed with him. And we were kissing, things like that. And it felt wrong, but I was just kind of like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen from here. And this is scary. And obviously, at that point, I'm about 18 years old. Like, I should have known, like, this isn't (laughs) like. You know, this isn't the greatest way to be like starting or, you know, all this kind of stuff, but it didn't really matter because after that day, when I visited, visited him in the hospital, I didn't see him again for another two years. So during that two years, um, I ended up buying a house. I was working full time. I got my job, everything like that. Um, I bought a house and I had since broken up with my boyfriend from, you know, my high school boyfriend and. He found out about what had happened later, not from me, not sure how, but I, I didn't tell him what happened and it, it was not my, you know, this moment, but anyways.
1: So within that two year period or, or within this period, you now have a house, you have a solid job, a solid career, yeah. yep. you know, you've dated already. And now you're here, you're still pretty young.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm 20 at this point. You're 20 not (laughs)
1: too many people own a house at 20 years old and and are are doing that. What is your belief of love at this point? What is your belief of relationships at this point? And what is your, I guess, you know, because you've done... What takes a lot of people to do, like you let let people own a home. Maybe in their thirties, I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) You you've done these things at such a young age. What I guess is your mindset of what you are looking for in the future, or what you want, or is that even in your head at this point? But it seems you know you're buying a house that you have these goals.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I I wasn't really necessarily planning on buying a house. It kind of just like fell into my lap. A house went for sale on the street that um some of my family lives on, like, and it was at the time a block away from our, where my parents lived. So it kind of just fell into my lap. Um, and at that point, when I first moved into my house, I was dating somebody else. <laughs> and, um, when, I mean, at that point when I moved in, the person I was dating at the time, we were kind of, you know, on the rocks. We had been together for like a year with somebody I knew from high school. Um, He treated me okay, but he was kind of emotionally immature. Um, I don't know if that's kind of the best way to put it, but we were on a no talking streak when I moved into my house and, you know, we kind of just broke it off. So actually that's, that's kind of where this is leading me next. So at that, I mean, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't know the first night in my house by myself, I sat on my bed and I was like, what did I do? I shouldn't have done this. You know, like all the regret just like washed over me. Like, how am I going to do this? Why did I do this? All this kind of stuff. Like, and um, I still live in that house today, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Cause I had, we had just broken up me and my, the person I was with at that time. And so, at this point this is when the um the dating apps and things like that were really coming into you know back in like 2014 and things like that that's when like the dating apps the Tinder and the OK Cupid plenty of fish all that stuff and you know what I did have like when I was right before the boyfriend that I had in high school I was with somebody else for a little while who was kind of like my very first everything, very first love and things like that. And it we were just so young that it didn't work out. And that was kind of almost like what I was chasing, you know, and I never found that in any of the next people that I was with. And, um, you know, the only person that ever made me feel like that was, you know, my, my NARC. And so, um, yeah, I I kind of just went along after I moved into my house only maybe... Two months went by before I met somebody on the dating app, and we kind of clicked right away. Um, it didn't feel right, but he still kind of leached his way like into my life, into my house, ended up staying with me a lot. His friends were over every night, and um, so this one, um You know, he was kind of chatting with his ex-girlfriend here and there. Like I sort of caught him on his phone on like what would have been their anniversary saying like, oh, I wish you were here and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. So things are on the rocks with us anyways. And so we had been together for only a few months, maybe three months. And he was basically living in my house. And so um, things were not going well. And I see on Facebook that, you know, this whole time too, like I haven't heard a word from my... Abuser since that one day in the hospital. Like it, you know, we didn't have any contact, maybe a message or like a little blip here or there on Facebook, but there was nothing. And I had no idea where he was, where he was at, what he was doing. So um, anyways, he ends up um having a traumatic injury and somewhere else from you know, a few states away from where I live. And he, you know, ended up needing surgery and all this other kind of stuff. So I saw that on Facebook and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, cause now I work in the healthcare field. So I'm kind of like, what's going on? Like what happened? All this kind of other stuff. And he gets transferred to the hospital that I work at. So, you know, he gets in touch with me and I was kind of, and I had a really good friend at the time that was like, do not do it. Do not do it. Don't go, don't go see him. It's not a good idea. You know what I mean? Like my best friends knew what happened in the past and you know, that it was bad news. (laughs) And So, you know, just another, another red flag to the wind. But, um, so I ended up going and seeing him and that, you know, was kind of the beginning of the end, so to speak. So anyways, I ended up going, seeing him and you know, we talked and the first thing he said was how great my butt looked in my pants. Um, of course, as he's laying there, (laughs) like post-surgery can barely move, you know, he, he had all sorts of issues. He actually couldn't walk at this point. Um, and yeah, you know, he took me out on a date because the boyfriend that was, you know, kind of giving me hell and talking to his ex-girlfriend, well, he, you know, broke it off with me and it happened to be two days later that I see my act or see my, you know, abuser in the hospital. And he, uh, it's like, you know, what I'll take you out on a date when I get out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. You know, cause at this point, like I'm upset, I'm vulnerable. This is the person, like, as soon as I see him, like everything comes flooding back, like all those butterflies, all the everything. And so, you know, that's kind of where it all started again. And, um, so you know, we go on our first date and of course it is, it's love bombing central, right? Like he's paying for everything. We go to, you know, a restaurant with arcade games. He's paying for all the arcade games, winning me all the games and all this other stuff. And he's in a wheelchair and he still has an IV in his arm for antibiotics and things like that. And I'm wheeling him around in his wheelchair. And, you know, it just felt great. Like I was nervous to go like on this date with him and, um, later, you know, he ended up staying the night at my house. He still had to give, you know, he still needed IV fluids and things like that. He hung his IV fluid from my, you know, from a hanger, from my curtain rod. And the next day, you know, my mom and dad were not happy about it. And now I live in my own house, so they don't know, like, but I had also just kind of moved in. So they were kind of in and out helping me get things done and you know, that morning I drove him home. He wasn't driving, obviously he's in a wheelchair at this point. And, um, you know, my mom goes over to my house and she's like, I see the IV bag hanging from your curtain rod here. So did he stay the night last night? And I said, yes. And she was like, come on, like, you know, you just got out of this relationship, you know, give it a rest, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong at all. But um, so yeah, that that kind of, you know, now he's out of the hospital and kind of living in his dad's house here in town and very swiftly makes his way right into my house, um, maybe two months after getting out of the hospital. And at this point, we're at the end of 2014. And things are okay, but I'm immediately in the caregiver role. Immediately, you know what I mean? I'm lugging the wheelchair from here to there. And doing all this other stuff and you know he's in constant pain he can't you know his legs are numb all this other kind of stuff so I'm immediately like okay and you know for him it's like perfect this was like the perfect opportunity for him to like swoop in interject himself straight into my house straight into my life you know he now he's got a roof over his head I'm paying for the bills he doesn't have a job he's you know, practically disabled, and he also has to go through all of that type of, um, you know, situation, which takes forever to get solved, you know, getting on disability and getting any type of money from that, and so, you know, things are, they just are what they are. I go to work, I take care of him, I take care of the house, all this other kind of stuff, and it, it really kind of didn't leave that much room for the relationship per se but it was also it was like this person that I like pined over as a kid and who told me like you look great and you know your butt looks great and you're just so cute and we have you know we have all the same you know music taste and I love the music that you listen to and he was burning me CDs like you know back when we worked together when I was a kid and all this other kind of stuff so it was kind of like I didn't care where it led with his injury and things like that. I was like, okay, like now I have this person that makes me feel special and all this other kind of stuff. But
1: so, at this stage, at this stage of the relationship, you knew him a long time ago. You have all of these feelings that mm-hmm. unres- unresolved feelings, right. no closure right. of what happened exactly. because he just disappeared. So those feelings are back and you have this person who has a legitimate injuries and you're watch. So you're like, you're taking the caregiver role. It's a natural thing what you're doing there. You can see that. And so as far as being a victim of something, this is not something he's just Telling you this is something that is visual and you can see. Right. And you can see where they need help.
0: Yeah, it's tangible. It's tangible. Every day.
1: Yes. And as far as what he's – plus you have the love bombing. As far as what he's saying, apart from the love bombing aspect of things or the trust building, retrust building of what's going on is he discussing his inner feelings about his situation
0: oh yes yes there's a lot of consoling lots of consoling so
1: you're <laughs> you're feeling really bad that absolutely you know, okay.
0: like i felt horrible i felt from the second that I saw what was going on with him on Facebook, like my heart dropped because I understood the severity of his injury also just doing what I do. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this person who, you know, was so spunky and charismatic could talk to anybody, you know, just was like that likable, just immediately likable person. um, You know, just kind of be kicked to the ground and, you know, everything that was, that kept him going was kind of stripped from him is kind of how I looked at it, you know, And so like, I felt horrible and he was going through it with his anxiety. Like we would go to the store and he would cry in the parking lot of Walmart or whatever for hours and hours. And I'd have to sit there and, you know, at one, at some point I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, like I feel horrible. I can't imagine being in his situation. Like I can't imagine that at all. So that was like huge part of it too. Like right from the jump, it's not like he came back in and He was the same person. He came back in and he's clearly hurting physically, mentally, everything. He's in pain. He can't do anything. He's totally reliable on somebody now. And of course, that kind of made it easy for him because he knew that if he showed me what I wanted from him, that I would immediately fill that role for him and be that person.
1: And as far as your mindset Went Besides doing the physical caretaking needs, did you feel like I'm going to be the person that gets him to stop thinking about, uh, you know, being uh, disabled uh, yeah. now and that, like, I'm going to make him that old person again and everything here. I'm going to fix that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of, and you know, that was, that was exactly it. Like I'm going to fix him. I'm going to get him back to as good as he's going to be after this, you know, whatever that may be. I didn't know if he would ever even walk again. You know, I didn't know if I would be lugging the wheelchair around for as long as it took that kind of thing. So.
1: Yeah. So right here we have a built in excuse for whatever is going to eventually happen. And this is at least one built-in excuse for things. I'm sure there's going to be some more down the road. But as far as right now and if red flags start showing themselves or abusive behavior starts showing itself, that you have – he has an excuse and you have uh, maybe in your own mind – a justification of why these things are happening to have these things to continue to happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, And that was, that kind of carried like throughout our whole relationship. I can't even say like, if he wasn't in that state that it would have progressed to what it did or that I would have stayed or, you know, anything as long as I did. So moving forward, you know, now it's like the beginning of 2015 and my um you know we're just kind of going along he's like I said he's in a lot of pain all the time he's he can't get around very well um all that kind of stuff but my grandmother my parents actually ha- held on to my grandmother's um wedding ring and engagement set and things like that and so he walked up to my parents house this is in April of 2015, read a letter to my parents about how he wanted to marry me. They gave him the ring and he proposed to me with it. And this we were together for six months at this point. And I was excited, but it was kind of just like, okay, like we're engaged. It was easy. We had the ring. It's not like he had to go and buy a ring, you know? And it was special to me. Like that was like one of the most special things ever. Like that was my grandmother's ring. It fit me perfectly. You know, I, that was what I always wanted. And, um, I should also mention too, so prior to this, it had been my 21st birthday, okay? And now what had happened to him, to lead him to have this injury was went to jail um, for endangering the welfare of a child, um, for getting into an altercation um, around his sister's child. And so he went to jail. In jail um, is kind of where he acquired this injury. Um, And then he ended up going to rehab and the injury got worse until he needed like an emergency surgery, um, which is why, you know, he was so severely disabled um, because his injury kind of progressed in the background while he was at a rehab facility and um, the doctors there kind of were overlooking it for a little while. And, you know, so it kind of just got to a point, almost a point of no return type of thing. Um, But so that's kind of what led up to this. So also when he got to my house, he had been jumping from jail to to the hospital. Now he's out for the first time with like, no like psychological um, help or anything like that. He was not seeing a psychiatrist and, you know, also I should probably mention a little bit of his background. So he has, um, he's one of seven children. Um, The youngest brother of his has a different father. It's his stepdad's um, child. And um, his other six siblings that are, you know, his have the same father as him, they all were subjected to horrible, horrible abuse as kids, um, physical, you know, watching their mother um, endure physical violence um, all the time, name calling, horrible, verbal, emotional, everything you can possibly think of. Um, I remember he had like knots on the back of his head from you know he'd be like yeah that's kind of where my dad would square up with his knuckle and pop me on the back of the head and things like that so I probably should have started with that maybe a little while back but you know that's kind of where I'm coming from with this and you know I saw as the relationship progressed and I met his other siblings um, I already saw a pattern of just the most ultimate manipulation and scheming and stealing and lying and in using the system and just, you know, doing everything you can to not have to do anything type of thing, you know, but also just, um, that was kind of, you know, where he came from. So, and, you know, his dad was the one that he stayed with when he, um, actually got out of the hospital. So, you know, it was kind of like one of those weird things. Cause I had always heard about his dad, his dad, his dad, you know, always was hitting him and calling his mom names and hitting his mother in front of him. And he was like, you know, one of the older boys. So he stuck up for his mom. So he got it the worst. And, you know, he would always kind of use that. Like, well, I used to get my ass beat as a kid. So that's why I'm like this. And that's why I am the way I am. And, and you've never been through what I've been through. So you can't understand. And In the beginning, he also couldn't drive. So I was very supportive of him going to AA meetings and stuff, especially because he went straight from rehab hospital to my house. He actually didn't get to even finish his rehab program. So I ended up actually sitting in on AA meetings every single week, maybe once a week, twice a week. Um, They didn't mind me being there. You know, each meeting is different, like closed meetings, open meetings, that type of thing. They didn't mind me being there because they knew our situation. And um, the year goes on um you know nothing really I already knew of his personality and I kind of just like chalked up his like, you know, he was very like grandiose, you know, all this stuff, you know, someday he was a drummer and he's like, I'm going to get back to drumming. I'm going to make millions. I'm going to be famous. I'm the best you've ever seen. Have you ever seen a you know disabled person do this and all this other kind of stuff and we're going to make millions and we're going to live here. We're going to do that and just watch, just watch, just watch. And he was also going to be coming into maybe a little bit of money here and there from everything that went on so with that he's like we're gonna get rid of this house and we're you know just all the future baking all of it all the time you know everything like that so um you know in 2015 I was at um a birthday party for myself with my family and he was there and he didn't like to go to family stuff um and so my best friend is a hairdresser and my hair was very long. And I was kind of like, Hey, while I'm here, do you want to cut my hair? Like, let's chop off 10 inches. Why not? It's my birthday. You know? And he was like, you're going to cut your hair. We didn't even talk about this. And I was kind of like, well, it doesn't matter. It's my hair. Like if I want to cut it right now, I'm going to cut it right now. You know, like you don't really have a say in this. And so my whole family's there and they're kind of like, what the hell, you know, like what's, what's the deal? Like what's, what's going on with him and things like that. And um, I was kind of like, screw it. I'm cutting my hair. I don't care what you think. And so she got out the scissors and cut my hair right there in the middle of the kitchen with the whole family around. And he stormed out of the house and everybody was like, whoa, like, is he okay? I don't know. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know what the deal is. And so he came back in and he was like, I can't, in front of my whole family, 30 people, I can't believe you would do this. I can't believe you didn't even talk about it with me. And, you know, I just can't believe it. I can't believe you're going to disrespect me like that in front of your whole family. That should have been red flag number one. That should have been like the, okay, this is it. Like, this isn't good. Like, there's obviously a control thing going on here. Um, and he he kind of didn't necessarily show that. Um, in the beginning because you have to understand like his injury was very very severe so a lot of his focus and energy went into like caregiving and you know that also didn't leave like any room for intimacy really at all Um, so that's a huge thing too like there was none of that that was like basically not really a part or any huge part of our relationship for the entire five years and you'll understand why because of the more surgeries and things like that Now we're, you know, getting into the control thing and he's upset. My family, all that kind of stuff. So the next day my mom was kind of like, Hey, you know, what's going on? And he was just like, you know, do you think we should be together? And she said, no. And so he walked as well as he could with his crutches. At this point he could get around without the wheelchair. He walked up to the corner store, bought lots of alcohol and just went to town um, and to the point where, you know, I, I got home from work and I had to go, you know, I knew that he was drinking cause he told me he was like, I'm just going to go and drink and whatever, you know, fuck it. And this and that. So now I'm at work. I have to go back into what I'm doing at the hospital and try not to think about the fact that he's now at my house relapsing after being clean for almost two years or a year and a half or whatever it was. And I get home and it was just a nightmare. You know, he was, he couldn't, he already had a hard time getting around. So he's like falling all over everything and, you know, calling me a cunt and saying that he's going to go, you know, sleep with this one girl from, you know, his hometown and all this other stuff. And, you know, just like the devil took over him basically. And I didn't know what else to do. So I called 911 because I wanted him out of my house. Like, I think his blood alcohol level came back as like maybe three, four times the limit. Like he was a small, small person and he just went to town. And so I kind of told them when they got there, they're like, well, you know, what do you want us to do with him? I'm like, can you just take him to like sober him up? And they're like, no. So I told him, I'm like, well, he's fallen multiple times and hit his head. You might want to take him. He, and he's like kind of unresponsive. And they were like, okay, enough said. And they took him away. And it was a whole spectacle in the neighborhood. I have very close neighbors. And, uh, you know, so that was like kind of embarrassing for me. Like I've never been in that type of situation. And you know, they're carrying him out and he's like being combative with them and all this other stuff. So that was like really traumatic. Um, And at that point, my family was like, no, no, don't do it just cut your losses. You know, we don't want you to be with him. We don't want you to have to go through this, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it was just one time, you know, me justifying it was just once, you know, it's not like he's drinking every day. It was just a one-time thing, you know? And so my aunt even came over and she's like, I will be here every single day until he's not here anymore. And I was and you know, that, Whole comment like just pissed him off to no end. Like, your aunt's out there saying you, sh- she's going to be here every single day until I'm gone. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not an, like, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not actively drinking. It was just once and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But that since that happened, like my family was like not having it. Like, he did not come around the family for probably six to eight months after that, like, and we have a big family, we're still having parties for everybody's birthdays, the holidays, things like that. I'm going alone every time. And every time is a fight. And then when we start to argue, you know, after things kind of took a turn there, I start noticing that from point A to point B in the argument, I don't know like where we even started by the time he's done. Like, you know, he would just go on and on and on in circles and this and that, and I'm doing everything I can to be better. They need to apologize to me and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm kind of like, no, but you kind of need to apologize to them because, you know, you put me and everybody else through all this shit. And, you know, obviously they're not really going to be too keen on like us getting married right this second after everything like that happened. Cause it's kind of a big problem and we don't want to be down, you know, years down the line and you're just getting shit faced again every day. And, you know, you're in, and, and there's nothing. And I sat there in those rooms with him in AA, I got to know the entire program front and back, these people in this community, I understand it's a disease and, and, you know, that's. It's, it's a terrible disease and you have to get the right help for it.
1: So within this specific time, when your family doesn't want you to be with them until the point of when he does eventually see them again, six to eight months down the road, is he sober during this time? And if he is sober, how are you being treated during this time and oh i guess what is the relationship like are you mainly a caretaker still and uh or are you a caretaker and being devalued what is the dynamic that's actually happening
0: the dynamic was basically it was a lot of arguing a lot of fighting um you know and just every little thing would turn into something and that's kind of when like the gaslighting started um but Yeah, the relationship, it really never deviated too much from like the caregiver role, (laughs) to be honest with you. And um, he ended up having to have like two or three more surgeries, um, you know, which kind of also put him back, which also meant like there was no intimacy with us. It was very strictly kind of like a roommate feeling situation um like i said he was a musician so once he kind of gained some of his abilities back and was able to walk again a little bit better um he started playing music again and he would kind of be up all night playing music like our neighbors my neighbors both sides hated us absolutely hated us from him being loud all night playing music and you know all this other kind of you know so he would come into the bedroom at like midnight and I have to work early every single morning. And, you know, he would want to try to have sex. And I'm like, no, it's midnight. I need to sleep in the morning. You know, maybe if you came in here like four hours ago and it wasn't the middle of the night, you know, then it would have worked out. So that kind of became like another point of contention and everything, but it was kind of like um, just like everybody else too. There was a point where it was like, okay, you know, you're not, you're not good with math. You're not great with finances. So you can just hand that kind of stuff over to me and I'll take care of it for you. And, you know, I'll make sure all the bills are paid on time and, you know, it's okay. Just give me all of your information. So then get into that type of thing where he ended up using my credit card, racked up thousands of dollars on my credit card by making himself an authorized user and things like that. And, you know, so that kind of was just like another piece of control for him. He wasn't working and necessarily contributing in that way, but you know he's like, well, I, I do this, I take care of this, and I pay for this bill and and I got that. You don't even have to worry about that. I make all the customer service phone calls. you don't do any of that and so that like kind of left me in the dark with a lot of things that I didn't really have like a second thought about him like, okay, he's got it, like I don't need to worry about it, like I can still look and see the bills that I pay, and that it comes out this and that, and whatever, and he has th- those bills, and you know eventually, when he started getting his disability, he was able to pay for those things and um he eventually got a car um was able to drive um but yeah, so the dynamic of the relationship it was it was very um and we said it all the time, it's like roommates, but no.
1: you're not roommates you're his mom
0: yeah oh yeah yeah that too like exactly you're right it was like that like i was the one consoling him like he would have breakdowns in the parking lots and i'd have to sit there and be like it's okay you know and but at the same time i felt horrible because he's in all this pain but you know you have to just kind of you know go through the motions and i'm sorry there's nothing i can do and you know so um
1: so you know, I've been sitting here and listening, and for a while uh, I've been wanting to say you've become not just his caregiver, you've become this parent that he never had. Yeah. And you are now in this role. You don't know it at the time that you're mm-hmm. fully in that role. You have a very stunted uh, growth uh, mentally uh, you know you're you have a teenager in your house you know you, you might have been a teenager when you uh, met him it, and he was 21 or 22 mm-hmm. but he's still the same age or 16 years old mentally what you were at 16 and doesn't have The wherewithal, thought process that other people exist within that home; that other people are neighbors; that that his behavior might affect other people because whatever wound is going on with him, that's all that matters. You know, going back to your hair, which has nothing to do with him. You know, it's the control of that situation. He might not have had control at any aspect of his life, and right now with you within this home, uh, he's grasping on to whatever – well, first he's doing whatever he wants to do, but he'll grasp on to any kind of control he can – that's my guess of
0: yeah no and he and you know he even mentioned that like he was one of those people that would just like kind of go on rants for hours and hours and just like you know and i would sit there and listen and it like and you, at some point like you just kind of like dissociate like my mind would go somewhere else to the point where when he's done talking i'm like what were we even arguing about what Like what just happened? Like there were so many things that he would say when he was like either because we used to argue a lot and, and, you know, it would always come down to I'm immature, so I can't understand, you know, I'm just stupid. I can't, I can't possibly grasp what he's going through because I've never been through anything like that. I've never been through anything traumatic enough to even understand what it's like to be him, but He's also the man, you know, like that was always very well known. Like, I'm the man. I can do whatever I want. I can talk to people however I want. I get whatever I want. You know, he was a very like scheming, conniving person. You know, he would buy something at the store and go run it over with the car to return it and get something better or, you know, like exchange it and get something better. How does that that work? Yeah, exactly. You want, you want me to, I I could write you a whole manual on that kind of stuff at this point.
1: <laughs> like you'd be able to run something over and then get more money back.
0: Yeah. Like, so say that he had like, um, you know, let's just say, say he had like some like kind of decent camera or something. And, um, or let's say like a GoPro, like something that comes out with a new version every once in a while you break the old version if you if it's still under warranty and then you can go and exchange it for the brand new version sometimes without having to pay the difference like that type of thing so those were the types of things like you know just kind of like he was just like a lying cheating stealing like and that's kind of like that was the mo and that was the mo for all of his siblings as well like the siblings were all all had these crazy convoluted stories with exes and, and kids involved in custody and substance abuse and and just like, you know, they were – like we had one instance where – one of his sisters had, had a child, and she ended up being very, very sick afterwards, like a week later. And so we had to go there and, you know, help the family, like, take care of the baby while everybody was making sure that she wasn't going to, like, die. This was before COVID, so, you know, you could have, like, four visitors or two two visitors whenever you wanted type of thing. And so, you know, I was left there taking care of the baby while everybody was at the hospital. And one of the brothers came in and literally ransacked the medication cabinet and took like the painkillers and all this other stuff from their sister who was like practically dying in the hospital. Like it doesn't get much lower than that, you know? And that was like the type of things that all of them did. Like they all collectively had just mountains and mountains and mountains of like thievery and just, you know, just the most conniving, manipulative, but some of them, like he has a couple siblings that are just like so intelligent, like in that intelligence and cunningness mixed with the conniving, like it's just, it got so involved and so crazy. Like every, every couple months it'd just be something else that you would just be like. you can't make this shit up. And this is just one of them. You know what I mean? There's six, seven of these people and they all are like this. And that should have been like, and I always like sat there and I'm like, but he's, he's the, like the exception to all of them. He's the only one that still talks to their father. He's forgiven their dad. All well, I say that with quotes because obviously not, (laughs) like he still was stuck on that trauma and things like that. Obviously it doesn't really ever go away. But he did use it as an excuse, like, I'm still dealing with getting my ass beat out every day as a kid. And, you know, that's why I'm like this and all that. So let's fast forward a little bit here still. So so
1: one question before you fast forward. Yeah. When it came to gaslighting or the devaluation of you during that period, uh, do you have any examples of stories that would happen?
0: you know, every time we had an argument or anything, like anything could cause an argument, like the blinds being like not open enough would cause an argument. And it would just turn into like this whole, like, you know, downward spiral of like, you're just, you know, stupid, you're immature. I'm trying to think of like, just some more specific examples, because you know, like a lot of this stuff is like stuff that you put like, way, way inside way back there. I mean, after he relapsed, like it was basically like always walking on eggshells, always walking on eggshells. He was always talking about my family, how my family, you know, was making me feel some type of way about him and they are wrong. And, you know, we, we were fine and we should just go and get married and, you know say fuck everybody and just go and elope and live our own life and move somewhere else and you know start a new you know, start over somewhere else and that kind of thing it was always like that like let's just get out of here like you don't need any of them you don't you don't need mommy and daddy anymore to come help you fix your sink you don't need to call them all the time you don't need to be talking to your friends about our business you know so he really didn't want me to like elaborate to the people in my life like what was going on for obvious reasons because he knew that they would kind of be and they already were like that they were already like this is not a good idea you shouldn't be with him like you know he doesn't even show you affection like you know, he, you guys are always arguing and he doesn't even show up for you. He doesn't go to anything and either intermittently, you know, like holidays and stuff, he would go all out like Valentine's day or my birthday or something like that. Like he would go all out and it'd be like, oh, okay. You know, he cares. And, um, but things just started to kind of like, let go, like you know, he, the house, we kind of cleared out the house so we could have it painted and stuff. And so like took everything off the walls. We were going to move, we put stuff into a storage unit. Um, and then the neighbor was like, Hey, you got to get your storage unit off the property. I'm building a fence right there type of thing. So we crammed the storage unit full of like half of the things in the house, Sent it away to the storage, you know, facility type of thing. So now we have a storage unit, the biggest one you can buy mixed with, all of our important stuff over in a facility, like five or 10 miles away. (laughs) So that created a problem later, but you know, every, everything was just like, he always just kind of put me down, put me down, made me feel like I was this big. Um, He was always the man. He, he was like, everything he knew everything about everything he had all of life's wisdom you know he would go on and on and on always do something for people expecting nothing in return but then you know behind closed doors it was like he could give two shits about me and what what was best for me and I kind of during that time um and I have like I have this paper here that I brought that has like some of my diary entries from like 2018 and things like that and I said um in one of these let's see from October of 2019 um it says sometimes it feels like red flags sometimes it feels like fire burning anxiety it feels like being manipulated into questioning my own intentions and it feels bad and like that's like kind of one of the only you know that it's hard for me to like just describe or like give specific examples all the time because it was just constant it was just constant
1: And, you know, you've been isolated here in a lot of ways, your communication with your friends and family and what you're divulging to them is, uh, you know, few and far between because of their, our belief of this person already of what they think of him. Right. So at a certain point, you know, before we fast forward, are you, what is driving you to continue with this relationship. And I guess that's my question. What is driving you to continue?
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Cause I feel like I'm kind of like hopping around trying to just like get what, you know, trying to get all the information in there. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess what was just driving it was just the fact that, you know, we kind of had this like, this back and forth, like trauma bond thing kind of happening where like we were kind of codependent. And he would say that like, you're codependent on me. I'm codependent on you. That's not good. But it was basically just like, it was easier, not easier mentally, but easier financially, easier, just less work to stay. And that whole time, I'm kind of like, it'll get better. It has to get better. It'll get better. It'll go back to like, you know, maybe how it was in the very, very beginning, but you also have to realize he was in a wheelchair in the very, very beginning. Like he was just like love bombing and grateful that somebody was there to like swoop in and take care of him in his worst time too, you know, whether he was like that or not. And, um, so I think it was just kind of that, like the, I felt bad. Like I felt like if I walk away, like he will literally have nothing, he'll have nothing he'll have I own this house this is my house you know and I've been the one that's been with him this whole time and all I know every little thing about his body and his injury and all this other kind of stuff and I just felt like guilty like I felt like but I also knew that it wasn't like I remember telling myself you should know like when you know you know you hear that when you know you know and I'm like but it doesn't feel like that like It's just, it'll get better. That's what I just kept telling myself. It'll get better. We'll get back to that place that we got to before and everything will be fine. And so kind of in the meantime, um, I started learning how to draw and like kind of, you know, do some art stuff. And so that was like a huge outlet for me, but it also kind of secluded me for hours and hours and hours at a time and he did his music stuff. So it was kind of like, I got home from work. I'd sit there, do my art stuff. He would do his music stuff. And then at some point I would get going and get into bed or maybe we'd have dinner together. And then that was that. And it's kind of just how it was. I didn't go out and do anything. You know, he was weird about me going out and doing stuff like, Oh, who are you going with? If I went out to dinner and got back and had a glass of wine immediately, he'd be like, Oh, okay. So you've been drinking. Like, immediately like yeah like I can do that I'm a grown adult there's nothing wrong with that and but it would just make me feel guilty anytime I went out with anybody guilty you know who are you going with okay texting me the whole time you know what's going on how are you all this other stuff like it was just it wasn't normal it wasn't the normal kind of checking in with your significant other it was like who's there you know at one point it kind of you know, I went on a little road trip with a coworker who we were going to meet up with a bunch of other people, but it was a couple hours away. So we decided to carpool together and that like triggered this jealousy that I had never seen before. And since that, you know, when that happened, like it was always, there was always like that jealous control thing to it. Like that situation, like sparked that, which I had never seen until then. So then after that, it was kind of like, you know, who are you talking to? Where are you going? Who's going to be there? So all of those typical type of things happened too. Um, But so yeah, at this point, I didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't like, there wasn't the straw that broke the camel back quite yet, so to say. So it was kind of, and I had never really heard of, you know, a narcissist or like their, tactics or anything like that at this point. Like I, you know, if, and I don't even know if maybe I knew any of that, if that would have helped, but, um, it kind of just progressed on to, um, let's just go to 2019, things like that. The next couple of years, he still was like in and out for, um, holidays. Sometimes we would get into fights beforehand and I would, he would end up dropping me off two hours late. And then my mom would be like, where is he? And then, you know, the whole holidays ruined. And then I would go home and he'd be like, oh, but you had a great time, didn't you? You had a great time. So why are you upset? You know, why are you upset? (laughs) Well, I'm upset because we spent two hours beforehand while I was hysterically crying and you were just kind of bantering about nothing and saying it's my fault and you're changing, but I'm not doing any changing. And I, you know, need to be there for you in this time, you know, so it was kind of like, well, you want you got to go and have fun. And I sat here by myself. And to me, I'm like, but you made that choice. Like, now you can drive. Like, you you dropped me off. And then I had to ask my mom to give me a ride home 20 minutes away. You know? So it was like, that kind of thing happened all the time for holidays. Just either, I would just, as soon as the holidays, like at this, I would just start to get so anxious before the holidays. Because I knew, I knew even if you said, yeah, I'm going to go that the day of, it's going to be a nightmare, a disaster. And it always was, every single time, always a disaster. And if I did end up getting him to go, he was miserable. Miserable the whole time, Treated my family like shit. And so that was that. But so, you know, this whole time, I'm kind of like, it's just, it'll get better. It'll get better. So then COVID happens, right? Things were not good. And, but then, you know, everything shut down. So, okay, now we're forced to be even closer than we were before. Cause there's actually nowhere to go besides work for me. He's not working still, you know, at first it was kind of fun because you're like, okay, like I'm stuck in the house. I'm used to being stuck in the house. I can work on my art. I can do this. I can do that. And, um, you have to understand too, like the house was in like deplorable conditions for like two years, like just like Porters United, like we had three we had three dogs at the time, very small house. Everything was in disarray from having it painted, and we just left it like that for like two years. So that was like a huge source of like anxiety and depression. And there was just things everywhere. And um, so I would just come home and sit there in the chaos with my headphones on, do my art and call it a day. And um, so for the first little bit of quarantine, things were okay. Um, But I started noticing that he would kind of be like sketchy about me being on the phone or he was weird about his like electronic devices. Like he lost his phone. He also um, knocked out his front tooth at one point. So that like prior to COVID for like six months, he didn't get his tooth fixed. And that was like his perfect excuse to not have to go anywhere. And this was before COVID. Like he's like, yep, I, you know, my front tooth's missing. I'm not going anywhere. Okay. So then like, The holidays roll around and my family's like is he coming and I'm like no he doesn't have a front tooth so he won't come (laughs) like you know it's just like the most bizarre things like that and you know he didn't get it fixed on purpose for months just so that he could have that excuse like no I'm I'm not comfortable going anywhere without this front tooth so I'm just gonna have to stay home So that was like his perfect out for months. So, you know, like I said, once COVID rolled around, things were okay for a little while, but he kind of just ghosted everybody on his phone. We didn't have a lot of friends. We had like one set of friends that we like kind of hung out with another couple and he ghosted them for months and months to the point where like they were asking me, is he okay? And then kind of like, in the midst of COVID, we were in the car one day and he just started driving towards their house. And he's like, we're going to go see them. And I'm like, it's 10 o'clock at night. They have a child. You haven't talked to them in like five months. We're not just going to drop in on these people. And like, there was a lot of situations like that. that gave me like those bad butterflies in my chest. Like this feels wrong. Like, I know this is wrong, but there's nothing I can do. I'm in the passenger seat. So I just had to go along with it and, you know, hope they're not like what the heck's going on, you know, and they opened the door and we went in and they were kind of like taken aback, not expecting us to be there, like kind of late at night. And it was just like, there's a lot of situations like that, that just kind of like made me feel like super uncomfortable and kind of like stuck. And um, so I noticed, um, you know, slowly progressing, kind of paranoia on his end um with like cameras on devices and things like that and um you know he started getting sneakier and this is like I said like the beginning of COVID and he starts getting sneakier and eventually he kind of like seeps his way into my stuff like cuz he's not using his phone his phone is lost so he needs my phone to make any type of phone calls which gives him also the perfect excuse to look through my stuff so he starts looking through my text messages and all of my stuff and just picking apart every little thing like you know at work with covid working in healthcare there was a lot of extra responsibilities that i had to take up upon myself and so i had to be in contact with a lot of different people every day sending me information and he was kind of like, you don't need to, you don't need to be in contact with this person. So I just deleted it. And I'm like, what you deleted, you deleted the whole thread. And he said, yeah, you don't, you don't need to be talking to him like that. And I was like, I can't get that back. And that's like, that's like six weeks worth of information that I reference every single day to do this role that I now have to do because of this. And now you just created all this extra work for me because now I have to go back and say, hey, sorry, you know, our text thread got deleted. Can you resend me six weeks worth of information? And so that kind of stuff started to happen. And he went into my my um, iPad and deleted like a lot of, like he actually not only deleted my digital art, but he deleted the whole app <laughs> that I had. And so everything was gone. And he was like, and I just immediately like started burst out crying. Like you just deleted like, you know hundreds of hours of work for me. I can't get that back and he was like, "Well, it's twenty twenty figure it out you that, you can't tell me that in twenty twenty you can't figure out how to get that back. <laughs> I'm like that's not the point, you know and so things just kind of started to go downhill worse than before, and um, you know, I kind of called in his mom, and I'm like, Hey, you know, he's acting just you know it wasn't it I don't want to say it was out of character, but it was out of character just because it was so just wild. You know what I mean? And it's so, you know, his mom ended up coming here and we kind of had like an intervention like, Hey, you know, maybe you should contact a psych person because he was very paranoid and, um, putting, you know, tape over cameras and covering up like the windows and things like that. And I don't. it was just the most bizarre things. I don't, you know, I was like kind of making a website and things like that. And he's like, oh, you're making a website. Why would you do that? You know, like any type of independence for me in that way was upsetting to him. And this was like kind of prior to any of that kind of stuff going on. Like anything that like involved my independence was not okay. Like it was, you know, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. You know, you're going to do that. You think you're just going to, you know, get rich and, leave me out of it and not tell me about it and stuff like that. And so that was that, but, um, yeah. So on top of everything else, you know, I just kind of, before even any type of paranoia or anything set in, like, I was just starting to feel hopeless because I was constantly being told, well, you always feel this way because, and you always, you know, do this and that, like, whenever we had an argument, it wasn't me saying, I feel like, And this is why it was him telling me, well, you feel like this because, you know, you just come from a place where you can't understand. So you'll never understand. And, you know, it's just I I was never going to understand, apparently, like the way that his mind worked and the way that he was and stuff like that. And it was just I was constantly being told, like how I felt, how I thought, like my thought process was being told to me. Whereas I can't even get in a word edgewise. And this is like throughout our entire relationship. If there was any type of um, argument or anything like that, he would ramble on and on and on. And as soon as I went to speak up, his voice got louder. (laughs) Like I would go to speak and he'd be like, yeah, but no, you know, and it just immediately shut me down every single time. Every time our arguments were, I would start to cry because I'm like, I was so frustrated that I couldn't even say anything. I couldn't say anything. And it was, that's like, for me, like that was like, I just like abandoned like all boundaries at some point. You know what I mean? Like they were just gone, like anything went. And it was like, I was supposed to be okay with it, you know? So it was just, it was always like that. Just telling me how I felt. You feel like this because of this you, you know, you, you're only saying that because of this. And no, that never happened. You never said that. I didn't say it that way. You said it that way, you know? And I'm, I always just kind of sat there like, and I have recordings of like some of our conversations towards the end. And I, you know, let my friends listen to them and they're like, like, you literally aren't saying anything. And I'm like, how am I supposed to, this is what I dealt with. Like, I couldn't even describe to them, like, what it was like I had to like I'm like here you go just listen to it because this is everything you need to know like I don't need I can't even like put words to how this was so you know everything with COVID whatever and the paranoia starts and you know we're covering cameras and we're doing some paranoid stuff and and then you know he starts coming out with the accusations like you know I was kind of like oh um you know I think my period's late or whatever and he's like did you go and have an abortion like that's serious. And I just was kind of like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm just asking, did you? And I'm like, no, like I have an IUD. Like, you know what I mean? Like that would, no, I didn't. And so just like, so out of the blue, some things like would just come out of his mouth and he'd be standing there watching TV and he'd be like, Hey, you know, where, you know, where this was filmed? And I'm like, no, where was it? oh, well, it was filmed in this studio. And I'm like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? And he's like, I don't know, just go look it up. You know more than me, right? And I'd be like, what? And he'd be like, huh? And that's like how the conversations went. So it was like, totally like my reality was just gone. Like there was no semblance to what was actually going on at that time. Like everything was just so bizarre. And so, you know, eventually- Um, it got to the point where we kind of had a conversation. He's like, well, what do you want to do in the future? And this is like a couple months into COVID. And I said, well, I, I don't want to get married anymore. You know, I don't, I, I don't think I want to really continue this relationship. And he's like, yeah, you're right. You know, I think we'll be better off with other people and, you know, we'll be happy someday. It's not a big deal. We'll move on. And, you know, I've always told you that you're too good for me anyways, and I'm a burden on you and all this other kind of stuff. And of course I was upset in the moment, but I was like, okay. And I told him, I said, okay, well then this is it there's no going back. Like this is it right here, right now. You know, this is everything we're done and we'll move on as two separate people and everything like that. So to me, that's, that's it. Right. So I wake up the next morning and of course you have like that whole flooding of emotions that happens when you wake up in the morning after something like that happens. And I go to my friend's house and I go come to my parents' house and I tell them what's going on. And immediately I just felt peace like, I was not upset. I just felt peace. And I was just like, okay, next step is we need to get him the hell out of my house. Like, how are we going to do this? (laughs) Like, He needs to go as fast as possible. Like, finally, like, I had never felt that type of peace before. But like, all of that kind of stuff, like, was just kind of the, you know, the last straw, the it, it was like the COVID stuff mixed with some of his like, kind of um, psychiatric concerns and stuff like that was like the switch for me to be like, okay, now's my time. Now's my chance. Like, we're done. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's just get, get rolling here. So he uh, packs his stuff up pretty quickly and gets it all out onto my front porch. So I'm like, okay, this is promising. You know, this is promising. And, um, but I also know that he still doesn't have a cell phone. So I'm like, Hey, you know, you need to figure out where you're going to go and this and that. And um it, ended up just being like, he didn't leave. He packed his stuff up and he's like, all right. And he just kind of paced around the house in silence. And you have to understand, like he was a musician. So for the longest time, like there was so much chaos with the dogs and the noise and the instruments and everything was just loud all the time. And, you know, I had the TV going and I was doing my stuff. And so now we're, you know, essentially not together and the house is silent. It's silent and it's trashed and it's just like a barren wasteland. You know what I mean? It's just deplorable conditions, is all I can really like describe it as. And so um, now it's like eerie, right? Because I'm sleeping in the middle of the night and I'm used to sleeping with the TV on, and now it's just dead silence dead silence in the house. And so, you know, if he falls asleep in the bed, I'll fall asleep on the couch and vice versa. And so if I fell asleep in bed, I would turn the TV on and he would be in the, in the living room. And so he would be down there and I didn't have cable at the time. I I had like streaming services and stuff. So he would go and he would unplug the Wi-Fi, So I couldn't watch TV like up in the bedroom. And so I would kind of yell down the stairs, Hey, like, what are you doing? Can you plug that back in? And he would like, pretend to be sleeping so then like, this is just, it's like a whole game. Now this every day is a game for him. Like, you know, he's turning on the wifi, you know, I come home from work and he flipped off the whole sweat, like the entire circuit breaker to the house, the whole house power is off, you know, that kind of thing. Unplugging the wifi, you know, if I slept downstairs and, you know, I had a nightlight, he would come down in the middle of the night when I had to work in the morning, unplug the nightlight off the air conditioner so it got to be you know 85 degrees down there so like you know all like i don't want to say that he wasn't like kind of tormenting me kind of sporadically gradually gaining control throughout our whole relationship but now this is like amped up like to the max like it is just every day is i come home from work i take a shower and I go somewhere else. Like after a little while of this, I'm like, nope, I'm not doing this. And now this is my house, but it's COVID. So there's nothing I can do. I can't evict him. And um, even though he was kind of going through this psych- you know, psychiatric stuff, he wasn't necessarily a harm to me or himself. He was never physically violent. And there was actually times, like which is horrible for me to even say, but there was times where I would be like, I wish you would just hit me just so that I had like something like some sort of evidence that like you're doing this to me and I can get you out or like have some sort of law enforcement behind like what I need to do here because I was falling asleep at night and there were guns in the house. And I'm just kind of like, is he just going to break? Like now that he knows that I'm actually done when I have been this submissive person, the whole relationship, like I will never leave you and I've always got you always and forever and this and that. And now, I've flipped my switch on him and been totally cold to him and just been like, nope, we're done. That's it. I don't like you. Like, all you do is cause, you know, anger and resentment for me and things like that. So um, it just kind of, (laughs) you know, that for him, I think he was realizing like, oh, shit, like, she's actually like, I actually am probably going to lose her now even though I never thought I would because I've been gathering all this control and all of this information to use against her. And so, you know, it just got, it just progressively got worse and worse. So, like I said, I was coming home, leaving, coming home at night to make sure the dogs were okay to get ready for work the next morning and just repeat every day, every single day. And so it got to the point where um, I was on vacation for two weeks in the summertime. And I said, listen, You know, at this point, he had been there for like a month and a half. Every day was eggshells. Just weird. He would try to... You know, get in bed with me. He would try to get into the shower with me. Like, I wouldn't, at this point, like, I'm done changing in front of him. Like, we are roommates. Like, we don't, like, you, this is just limbo time until you figure out what the hell you're doing and I can make a more solid plan to get you out of here, basically behind his back, like trying to make my escape plan, but really it's like my ejection plan to get him out type of thing. So the days go by, and my um, family is trying to, you know, help me in whichever way they can. And um, my mom ends up coming over, and he's immediately upset that my mom is there. And he tells her, you know, to get the hell out. And, you know, what are you doing here? And she was like, I'm here to, um, you know, help you guys sort this out like what what else needs to be done to get you out of here (laughs) and you know he was immediately just on guard and he's like you're not going to come at me like that and all this other stuff and it just kind of escalated into this big thing and my family ended up coming and pulling up outside the house and I took my dogs and my aunt was like nope we're not doing this um you're going to come live with me until we figure this out you're done you're done being here this is not okay this is not safe for you and um so i took my dogs and my mom took my little dog and i took my one girl and he kept his dog and we parted ways and i took you know the most important things to me my checkbook my paintings and um what i needed and kind of staked out at my aunt's house and luckily my aunt was right on my street so i was able to keep an eye on my house during this time so she was kind of like, Hey, you know, you can go down to family court and just get a restraining order. And I'm like, Oh, is it that easy? (laughs) And she's like, well, I think at this point you probably have enough to, you know, have a solid case. And so, um, the next day off that I had, I went down there and they said, okay, here you go. Fill it out. And I spent probably two hours and I used the entire page to kind of, you know, say what was going on, how uncomfortable I felt. The fact that, you know, he was still trying to sleep with me and making moves on me. And every day I was, you know, telling him, I do not want you here. I don't, you know, I want you out of the house. You're not welcome here anymore. You need to figure out where to go. And, um, the judge actually was like, okay, so do you want to be seen today? And I was like, yes, please. And she looked over my stuff and she said, so what would you like to happen? I said, I just want a restraining order. I want no contact. And luckily, like at this point, I couldn't imagine having like a shared house or kids or anything like that because it was so easy for me to go in there and do this and be able to have like that clean, you know, clean no contact um and i was able to still kind of stay in touch with his mom if i had some questions cuz you know there were some loose ends after this but the judge was basically like yep okay well he'll be out in in an hour and i just immediately started bawling like i couldn't believe that he was like the cops were going there they were going to pull him out of my house and i was going to be able to change the locks and literally be free of his presence like that was like the biggest moment for me, like the biggest weight off my shoulders. And, you know, I just would have liked to see the look on his face when the cops came, but you know, whatever I can, I can use my imagination. But, um, so, you know, he, he gets pulled out of the house and he ends up sitting outside the house for like an hour in his car. And I'm kind of like, okay, this isn't you know, down the road a little bit. And the cops were like, well, he can do that. But if he's still there in a couple hours, you know, you can call us back for stalking. And they're like, what do you want to do about the guns? And I'm like, just take the guns. I don't, they're not my guns. I don't want anything to do with them. And um, so, yeah, we got, I was lucky, lucky and um, able to get a full restraining order, which was like, the biggest blessing I've like ever gotten in the judge was just so understanding. And, and, um, so his mom actually ended up calling me shortly after like that day when this happened and I kind of had to tell her what was going on and she was not happy about it, but you know, I, I was begging her to come here and help me with the situation for months and she didn't. So I kind of had no choice. I didn't have any, I, I didn't, you know, and I'm happy actually that, the restraining order was the only way for me to go because if I had gone the eviction route, he could still have gotten in touch with me and things like that. Um, so from there on out, it was kind of like, I get back into my house. My mom stayed with me there for a couple of days. The house was in like serious disarray, um, during those few months while, um, you know, we weren't together, but he was living there. A lot of things got broken, mirrors got broken. And I broke a few things just out of like a reactive abuse type situation, like getting pushed over my limit and past my threshold to the point where I was acting out of character, you know, breaking things of my own, nothing of value. Like he broke many things of value, iPads and cell phones and mirrors and printers. And, you know, the list goes on. But so, yeah, that, you know, I stepped back into my house and it was like kind of finally mine again. And, and I never like that feeling will never, I'll I'll never have that again. Hopefully I never have that again. (laughs) Um, but so, yeah, that, that was great. Um, the first few months after that were a little bit weird just to go from like this fight or flight survival mode every single day to like, now what? like i mean i had to get the finances in order i had to go through all of the bills i had to make sure you know change all my passwords and get him off of any authorized user for any type of credit cards um because he already left thousands and thousands of dollars of debt on my credit cards as it was so you know and and he knew all of my information backwards and forwards you know he could probably spout off my routing number and all that kind of stuff to this day. So that's a little bit scary, but, um, so yeah, I was able to, you know, very slowly that was in 2020. So I've been able to very slowly kind of get my house and my life together and try to kind of find what brings me joy and live in, this state of peace. And unfortunately I still am in the same house, which kind of gives me like, you know, some bad energy and I'm hoping to get out of the house in the next couple of years. But, you know, I've been fortunate enough to also find somebody that I was really good friends with that I'm in a relationship now who is like above and beyond anything that I could have possibly imagined um, in a supportive relationship. And um, so fast forward to last year, um, when the first restraining order was up, you know, I had to go back and forth with, um, my abuser's mom to try to figure out some of these loose ends since we couldn't have, you know, any contact. So that storage unit that I was telling you about was one of those things that, um, didn't get taken care of until after the fact. And so it was a huge headache to try to Get in contact with them and uh, separate our crap from the storage unit and get it brought to my house. So, luckily, that was the last time that I had to see him, but and the cops were present because of the restraining order. So, that was fun. But um, so that restraining order was up last summer. And, you know, prior to that, um, we had a court date, a Zoom court date, and the judge actually extended my restraining order for an extra year. Which was amazing because him and his uh attorney did not show to um court. So she was kind of like, Well, we don't know, you know, where he's at. So I'll give you another year if that's what you want. And I said, Absolutely, thank you. So the neck that restraining order was up about a month later after that court date, and um I got a text <laughs> on the day that it expired from my abuser and he was actually um, you know, one of his brothers actually passed away. Right, um, kind of right before we broke up, which was kind of a big deal. Um, that kind of sent him into like a weird, another weird kind of spiral. It was very unexpected, and he texted me the day that the uh, restraining order was up from that brother's phone number. So, assuming that you know, when he left, I don't know where he's at these days, but he went out, you know, towards where his his mom and siblings live, and he must have taken over his brother's cell phone and so the number came through as his brother's name and so of course that immediately like gave me the shivers <laughs> and it was kind of like you know just reaching just you know hey it's me just wondering how the dogs are I'm always here if you want to talk and so I'm now like livid right and I'm like I have another restraining order and so now you're breaking that one and so I called the cops and they were like Yeah, except, you know, he hasn't been served with the new one because we don't know where he is, so it's not effective yet. And I'm like, great, so it's just a piece of paper. (laughs) It's doing nothing for me right now until you find him. And they were like, yeah, pretty much. So, you know, I had to go through some uh, (laughs) some serious FBI skills to get in contact with his mom again to tell me where he was living to get him served. I mean, you know, I had called her, and she wouldn't answer my regular number. So I had to kind of take it back to like 2004 and do the star six, seven thing. And, uh, she answered luckily, but, um, yeah, so she, she didn't tell me where he was living and she's like, you know, you're gonna have to give me a couple of days, call me back, which I thought was weird and like, great. You know, she's not going to tell me where he's at. And I tried, and we were really close like throughout our whole relationship. Like she can, she considered me one of her kids, you know, like we never had a strained relationship, me and his mother. And, um, so I was really kind of upset that she like, didn't want me to be safe. by just like, I said, what do you want? What do you think? I'm going to like show up there. I really just want to be safe. I want to know that I'm protected for another year. And, um, you know, so she didn't, she didn't answer me when I called her back to get the information. So I let another couple of days go by and I kind of had to use the same star six, seven thing to get a hold of her husband this time. And he hands the phone over to her and she says, you know, he was here mowing the lawn and you know the sheriff pulled up about to ask us where he's living and so we told him to just go around back and he got served with it and of course like I can never believe much that comes out of these people's mouths like and she was kind of like you know, and, and if you don't believe me, you can call the whatever county sheriffs and they'll tell you. And I said, no, you know, when I get it in the mail in a few days, hopefully I'll get it in the mail in a few days. And that will be that. And I did. So he was in fact served. Um, so for this past year now, uh, well, I guess since last summer I've been protected and I've been able to, um, not have to have any contact and not, I think, um, he's not one of those people that would try to push past. order protection and get himself in trouble by breaking that to try to contact me. So instead of doing that, he has, um, contacted many of my friends instead to this day, still trying to add some friends on Facebook and things like that. (laughs) So I I deal with that. And I do worry a little bit down the line here this year, you know, when that order gets lifted, if I'm going to have to change my number that I've had for 15 years, but I guess we'll kind of see, you know, but, um, I just, I really like to listen to the stories and I know that the story could possibly help somebody else because I didn't know how gradual and how like all consuming somebody like this can be to the right person, um, in the right vulnerability, in the right circumstances. Um, so, you know, and, and everything hindsight's 2020 20, like all of this research that i've done on gaslighting and hoovering and in the future faking and all that stuff is just like every time i i learned something new i'm like that that was me like that <laughs> that happened to me you know and it's just so easy to fall into something like this and not even know what's going on until way much after the fact so
1: And if you have any words of wisdom or advice for those listening, what would it be?
0: Not that I was necessarily mourning that much when the relationship ended, because I was already done. Like, I was already, like, way done by that point. Um, Like, when we first established the fact we weren't together, I had my moment. I have some tears. But after that, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm that person. When I'm done, I'm done. And this is it. We're done. So get out you know, have a nice life. (laughs) You know, that was kind of me. And um, I just, I I basically ignored every red flag that there ever could have possibly been. And my good friend said, hey, listen, you need to like, let go of that, what you thought it was going to be. Um, and kind of just like let go of what you thought you could turn him into or what you maybe had in the very beginning when things were okay, but it was never really okay. And you just kind of have to let that go. You have to let go of that vision that you had for your relationship and just know that that's not real. That's not your real reality.
1: Well, River, I want to thank you for being here with me today and chatting with me before the call and you know getting to know you because you're just a really good person and it came through today uh, with everything you're saying and you wanted to help a lot of people today that was your goal and and you did so thank you so much for for being here with me and sharing your experience with everyone else
0: thank you so much for having me
1: you're welcome. And for everyone still listening, if you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. Click on that button. You'll go to our guest form. There's all of these instructions. You can fill out the guest form or you can send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. And another thing at our website At NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have our very own support group. So at the top of the page, there's a support group button. And when you click on that, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And on there, we have forum boards where you can post and people can answer everything. We have integrated Zoom support group meetings on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights and every other Thursday. We have episodes that have never made it to air. We have follow-up episodes on there, too here and there. We also have ad-free episodes as well if you want ad-free episodes. And we just have a great group of people on there. So if you want extra support, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, or there's a button that says support group. Click that button and we will see you there. And now if you want even more support, We are friends with a place called DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing, and they can connect you with local resources, and you can find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And once again, I just want to thank River for being a guest on our show. And from River and myself, we hope you have a good night.